Okay, this morning uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews six thirteen through twenty, which uh, <clears throat> excuse me closes out this chapter. Uh, this is a uh, I, I entitled it uh, God's Word is Certain. Uh, this is not a not actually a text talking about the Word of God. Um, it's more the idea that God, when He makes a promise, uh, it is certain. That's that's really the idea here. Uh, that and and uh, he's going to and if you noticed, if you noticed uh, last week uh, in the in the in the in the context of last week, the subjects of faith, hope, and love came up, and he's been expanding upon those as we go along, and and through the book of Hebrews, there there's a lot of this where the author brings in a subject, he gives some introduction to it, a little bit of talk about it, and then he builds upon it in a chapter or so later. And he continues to do that down the line. I mean, the ultimate building on hope is going to be, and faith, the, of those two combined, uh, is going to be chapter 11. Uh, but here he's going to reintroduce, or not reintroduce, but continue to talk about faith. And it's going to kind of morph, by the time we get to the end of it, into hope. <clears throat> and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, basically, uh, faith... Feeds hope, and hope feeds faith. Those those two things kind of work together. They 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 booster one another. And uh, uh, once one has put his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, the reality of the hope that God has promised uh, becomes even stronger, which builds faith even more, which increases hope. Is kind of kind of the idea uh, that 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 flows through this. So this morning we're going to be looking here, and I, I kind of broke it down this way, uh, God's promises, God's oath, and God's character, they all kind of combine together in why we can hope, and why Abraham hoped, who is going to be the example as, uh, as we move through this text. So, before we do, do we have any prayer requests this morning? I know Tim Powell and, and Monica, we need to keep them in prayer. And Teresa too, I think. I don't know. I didn't say anything in the email. Oh, no. I think Teresa Moore might have another one, too. But there's still a hope. And for Joe, I mean, yeah, yeah. Joe, and to be in a hotel for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Helping him mop floors and stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Their house sold? Yes. Oh, it sold. Okay. Her okay. sister bought it. Oh, that's right. She told me that. Yeah. I forgot. I had you guys praying for my cousin on different, a couple different occasions, the one with Alzheimer's. and um, He passed away a couple weeks ago um, from COVID, but it was just a huge, huge blessing because of his condition and state. Alzheimer's. <clears throat> he was yeah. just in a really horrible place. God's grace, abundant grace. But you can pray for his wife. She's the family's 
he wasn't vaccinated. more difficult, a difficult situation harder. <laughs> I've kind of wondered sometimes whether it makes any difference yeah. when you read the news. So. I know. Anyway. Uh, and your wife's not here. Should we no, we, uh, well, our, we had a bunch of family events, and our grandkids had coals. I mean, just regular old coals. So guess what? Grandparents and uncles got them too. Well, Kathy was the last one to come down with it. And last night she started sneezing and coughing. So I told her, be best if you stay in bed. So, and of course, and of course, Michael and Mark were overworking on that building and didn't wear dust masks. And so they're coughing up gypsum now. So, (laughs) were you there yesterday? No, I was doing this. Oh, Bob? No, no, I was Michael. Michael was there? Yeah. What'd you get done, Michael? A lot. A lot of destruction. Yeah. The stage is gone. Yeah, the stage is gone. What's gone? The stage is gone. Oh, okay. We went over Tuesday night, and it was, they finished it up on Tuesday night. Carpet in the foyer is gone. And in the sanctuary. Yeah. They were taking down walls. Yeah. These these guys said all the carpet was gone, all the pews are gone, including the balcony. And and they've tore out some walls in the sanctuary, and they've tore out walls in the bathroom to expand them. So that's what I understood. Ah. You said those wings in the front are gone. That's what I was told. I I haven't been over there. They're taking the wall down to expand the. Oh, they're going to push out into the hallway. So that wall is yeah. A lot of it was gone. <clears throat> okay. Okay, here we go. Bob, would you okay. open us? Now that Margaret got here, we can. Start. Yeah, we can start. We will wait for you. <laughs> she got We're the solid. she got the kids cold like the rest of us did last week. She oh. got it this week, so okay. I told her stay home. Okay, <clears throat> let's look first of all at God's promise in, in uh, six thirteen through 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So here we, here, here we see in the beginning, the, the opening remarks are that, that, uh, uh, that a promise was made by God to a man. The promise is from God. The man is Abraham. And, and from that, Abraham becomes the primary example throughout Scripture of a man of faith and hope. Uh, those two words just go together in there. Uh, Abraham is, uh, we are told by Paul in, he, in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 11, that Abraham is the father of all who believe. In fact, 4 goes on to explain 
if you read through chapter 4 of Romans, we're not going to... I, I toyed with whether we would go there for a while, but I think not. Uh, but uh, especially since we're 15 minutes into the hour now. But at any rate, uh, 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 in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul lays out the, the entire idea, behind, uh, the entire... Uh, plan of salvation and and using Abraham as the example. Abraham was saved before the law. Abraham was saved before he was circumcised. Ritual and and uh, ceremony had nothing to do with Abraham's salvation. Paul says Abraham was saved because of his faith. Because he believed God, it was reckoned to him for righteousness. These are the these are the things that that run through chapter four of Romans, as as Paul uh, delineates the salvation of Abraham, and he goes on to say, <clears throat> say in there that uh, uh, that he makes it clear that Abraham is the father of all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. He's the father of the faithful. We, as Gentile Christians, trace our heritage to Abraham through faith, not through blood, but through, through well, blood too, Jesus's, but not his. Uh, uh, and, and so he was both the father of the Jewish nation, he's the father of all the saved. That's, that's how scripture paints Abraham as, as you move through it. So he's, he's quite an important fellow when it, when it comes to... Uh, uh, when it comes to biblical history, if you're not familiar with the life of Abraham, it's chapters 12 through 25 of Genesis. You know, read those chapters. You'll get you'll get everything Abraham went through. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And and God basically told him, pack up and go. And he did. He believed God and he packed up and he went. Uh, Genesis 12, one through nine uh, in uh, in Genesis 15. Uh, uh, excuse me, not Genesis 15, but in Hebrews 11, 5, uh, he, he tells us in, in the, the Hall of Faith, when he's talking about Abraham, the author here is going to tell us that Abraham was promised that he would be made a great nation. Uh, that, was, that was part of his promise. His promise concluded several things. It included that, that one, he would, be made, he would have many offspring. He'd have a great nation. He would have a land, and he would be a blessing. The blessing extends to all of us. That's part of what Romans eleven or Romans four was talking about, and he says he would make him a great nation. And you understand, in Abraham's lifetime, the great nation consisted of him, one son, and two grandsons in his lifetime. That's that's all. I I looked this up. I googled it. There are fifteen point two million Jewish people in the world today. That's after all the attempted exterminations of them, there are 15.2 million. So I think God fulfilled that promise in, in a very real sense uh, in, that we can see. A- Isaac was born to Abraham when he was 100 years old. Genesis 21, 1 through 3. He was a miracle baby. Uh, I think uh, Sarah was 75? 90. 90. 90. She was 90. That's right. 90. <coughs> you know, in other words, it was it seemed... It was seemingly impossible, but yet, yet God did it. Um, in 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 the the ultimate expression, perhaps uh, we might could say this of of Abraham's faith was demonstrated in Genesis chapter twenty two, uh, when uh, when Abraham 
was told by God to take his son and offer him. Um, it's kind of interesting what Abraham's thinking was. Um, it's, we're told what it is by the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 19, uh, excuse me, verses 17 through 19, where, where it reads this way. By faith, Abraham, when he was attested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall, uh, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The, the point is, Abraham believed that if God meant to do what he said he was going to do, and he was going to do it through Isaac, and he demanded Isaac as a sacrifice, then God was capable to bring Isaac back. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, the strength of the man's faith is, is demonstrated here. And it says, the text tells us that, that God made a promise to Abraham. Now, promise in Scripture is kind of an interesting, an interesting thing. I spent some time going through some of my uh, research-type books, you know, things like encyclopedias and, and Bible dictionaries and this thing, kind of things, and looked up these words. And, and, and a promise in biblical times basically was a covenant. It was a contract. Um, it, uh, it, uh, it, it included things like, like a pledge, uh, and a blessing to the recipient of the promise. It was seen as prophetic in the sense that it was to be fulfilled. The, the fulfillment of the promise was to be expected. And when the promise was made by God, it was considered sacred. <clears throat> Not like promises that we make today. You know, you go, yeah, I promise I'll be there at 2, and you get there at 3.15. You know, it's not that kind of thing. Uh, these things were very, very strict, and they were to be adhered to, and they were to be followed. And when God made a promise, it was expected, fully expected, that it would be fulfilled. And that's, that's the idea here. This is not some simple little, oh, I promise I'll take care of that. You know, it's not, not one of those kind of things. This is an assurance kind of idea. Psalms 12, uh, 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are, 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 are pure words. And verse 7 says, you, O Lord, will keep them. That's the, that's the stress here. God keeps his word. Abraham had a reliable promise given to him by God. That's what, that's what he's trying to, to, trying to get through. That's what the, the author wants us to understand. And he's going to go on and develop this a little bit more. And he says, he says, he says uh, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Uh, generally, in the, in the, uh, <clears throat> in the uh, uh, Old Testament days, in, the, in these days, uh, when someone made a promise, they swore by something. They didn't just say, I promise I'll, ma- I'll send you a letter. I'll promise I'll- the check's in the mail. You know, they didn't, they didn't say those kinds of things. They, they swore by the temple. They swore by the earth. They swore uh, by, by, uh, by the Lord God. And, and you see this throughout Scripture. They, this is the way they did. They would, they would swear by these things. They would, so they would swear for someone that was of higher, uh, some, someone or something that had some kind of sense of higher authority than themselves. 
That, that's the idea here. It's kind of like if you go into court, I, I guess, I don't know if they still make you so help me God, but they used to. When you put your hand on the Bible as a witness, you swore that you were going to tell the truth. And here, that's the idea, is that, well, there's no one greater than God. God can't swear by someone else. Anything he would swear by would be less than him. So the only, the only one he can swear by is he swears by himself. And that's what he did. He gave, he gave Abraham a promise, and it was based upon him. It was based upon God. It was based upon the one who created Abraham. It's the one who was, it's based upon the land which he's promising to him was owned by God. That's the, that's the thrust of this promise. It was, it was based in the word of God. It was based in the fact that God said so. That's, that was its basis. <clears throat> and in verse 14, he gives us something about, he identifies some of the basics of this promise. He says, he says, he says here, he says, surely I will bless you and multiply you. That, that's what he says here. I'm going to, I'm going to make you a people. Genesis. Uh, Genesis 22, 16 and 17, at the offering of, of, uh, of Isaac. Ugh. I bought this Bible not too long ago and the pages stick. Genesis 22, uh, 16 and 17. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, speaking of the offering of Isaac, you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall, shall possess the gates of his enemies. This is the promise. This is the promise that he's making. And Abraham only saw that fulfillment in Isaac and then in his grandsons. That's the only part of the, uh, that he saw of it. Uh, the, the, actually, verse 15 goes on to say, it says, it says, And thus Abraham, having patiently awaited, obtained the promise. Now you're going to tell me, if you're a Bible scholar, that when I get to Hebrews 11.39, <clears throat> That it says there, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Now we've got to reconcile that, because the text here says, Abraham, uh, Abraham obtained the promise. But Hebrews 11 is going to say, none of them received the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham only received, only received it partially, in that he was given a son and he was giving grandchildren. That's, that's, that's the fulfillment of his promise. However... Jesus explains this for us in John chapter 8, verse 56, where he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it, and he was glad. What the text here is telling us is this, that Abraham, by faith, comprehended what God was promising to do, and he understood 
that from him a Savior would come. That's what, it, that's what it's telling us. And Jesus is telling us that that's how he obtained the promise. By, uh, by faith, he, he comprehended what God planned to do, and he took it to himself, and he believed it, and he held to that, and he acted upon those bases. That's, that's, that's the concept that's being expressed here. Abraham saw Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and Esau, and he claimed the promised Messiah. This is what, what is meant by being a man of faith. This is the idea of what he hoped in, uh, the faith that he saw. The current generation of Hebrews that this is being written to, no Messiah has come. For the most part, they have received him. There are some that are wavering, some that are being torn back to, to, uh, to Judaism, to the ritualism, and trying to have one foot in both places. Some of that is going on. And, and what the author here is telling him is, no, you need to stand like Abraham and see the future as Abraham saw it. Mm-hmm. You need to stand in faith and understand that God has a plan and he is working his plan and there is no going back. That's, that's the idea that's trying to be expressed here. And then secondly, he says that uh, he speaks about an oath. And he, re, uh, he, re, he restates 17, uh, 16 and 17. He says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their dispute, disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more conventionally to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purposes, he guaranteed it with an oath. So now he introduces something beyond a promise. He says, he not only promised it, but he took an oath. He took an oath. <clears throat> and once again, he's saying that he did it by something that, that people, when they do it, do it by something greater than themselves, which, which, as I said before, is sometimes by heaven, sometimes by the temple, by Jerusalem, by, by earth, or by the name of the Lord. Uh, an oath is used, uh, is used when the truthfulness of a declaration is not readily confirmable. In other words, we add an oath to it. Uh, we, we have made a promise that this is going to happen, we're going to perform this, we're going to do whatever the promise happens to be, but there's no identifiable evidence at the moment that says, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Now, if you're Abraham at 75 years old and you have no children, and your wife at that point is 65, and you're going to spend the next 25 years wandering around before you even have a son, that's, there's no real demonstrable evidence at that point. <clears throat> so God is, So what, it, what was, this is saying here is then he, he added, God added an oath to the promise. And oaths um, in the Old Testament are very, very important items. Not always, but generally, they com- they included a clause. They included blessing, but they included a clause of curse as well. Uh, if you were, if you've been through with Pastor Steve in the evening when he was in Deuteronomy, he talked about all about uh, about the Caesarean vassal treaties, which that's basically what we have in the promise to Abraham, and that's the oath that's going to be taken. There is that kind of a setup, where where it says. You do this, and this happens. You don't do this, and this happens. It's that kind of thing. 
And, and that's what we're, what we're going to have in this, in this, in this particular uh, section, uh, that very often when it was, wasn't confirmable, there was a curse added to it. You could see I gave a list of places where that's exam- exemplified in Ruth uh, 1.17. That's where Ruth uh, promises Naomi that you will be mine, and I will be yours, we will be together, your people will be my people, and if not, may God do me in. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. But anyway, it's that kind of an idea. That, that kind of a, a, a deal. That's an oath. That's an oath. And it's and also in 1 Samuel in a couple of places, in 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, all these places, we have, we have an oath being taken with a consequence for failure to, to, uh, to, uh, to meet the oath. You might say, I guess you could say that an oath is a promise on steroids. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea here. It's far... Huh? With clearly delineated... Yeah, with clearly delineated... Reper, rep, yeah, whatever you said. <laughs> I can't talk this morning. Uh, the promise and oath here are found in Genesis chapter 15. This is a, a rather lengthy passage, but anyway... Well, it's the whole chapter, after, after, actually. But here's the covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham a covenant, I, I suspect most of you are familiar with covenants in biblical terms, but all a covenant does in our terms is, it's a contract. It has terms. And basically, the oath uh, is the signature at the bottom of the, of the, of the contract, uh, today, you sign a contract. You, probably, you signed a contract when you bought your home, when you bought your car, if, you know, if you didn't pay cash for it. But if you, if you buy anything on time, you sign a contract. Well, that's what a covenant is. It's a contract. Um, it's, it's a contract. And, and, of course, in Abraham's day, you didn't have 17,000 lawyers figuring out how to break contracts. Contracts stood and there were consequences if you, if you failed. So here in chapter 15, we have the contract that God is going to make with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my household is Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer was the was the primary servant in his household. And in their economy, the way things worked is if you had no heirs, he was the guy that would inherit. That's, that's, that's what this is saying. And he's saying, I have no heirs, therefore my manservant who runs my household, Eleazar, is my heir. <clears throat> and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for, ver- uh, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and was counted to him for righteousness. That's faith. Believing God Counted for righteousness. This makes him a saved man, incidentally. That's, that's how you got saved. That's how all, everyone got saved. This is before the law, before, before Moses, before anything else. It's always been the plan. And then he goes on and he says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. 
But he says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said, bring me a heifer and a three-year-old, uh, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them and he cut them in, in half and laid each over uh, against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. The Egyptian uh, time period, notice it's specific, and it was specifically fulfilled. Is just the way he said it would be. And I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Again, completely fulfilled. The Egyptians paid them to go away. Uh, and as for you, you shall go to your father in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God lays out his entire plan. The reason you can't have the land today is I'm not done dealing with the Amorites. You know, uh, that's, that's, that's the bottom line here. And when, when their judgment is complete, then you'll own the land. That's, that's what he's saying to them. When the sun had gone down and was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces. On that day, the, uh, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give the land. From the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and then he lists all the inhabitants of those lands, and he says that will be theirs. That's what he's saying to them here. Uh, incidentally, Israel has a claim to the land. It's right there. It didn't change. Yeah, it's the literal land. This is a covenant. What this covenant means, if you're not if you're not familiar with this passage, is when God took in the old in Abraham's day, when you made a covenant with someone, a very strong binding covenant like this one would be, you would take an offering and you would divide the offering in two. And the two people making the covenant, say it was me and you, we would walk between those slain animals. And basically our promise is if either one of us breaks this covenant, we wind up like these animals. That, that's what it is. It's basically saying, you break the covenant, you die. Understand, only one walked through the animals. It was God. Only one walked through. That's why we call it an... uh, I just went blank. Unconditional. (laughs) Unconditional, thank you. An unconditional covenant. That's why it's called an unconditional covenant. Because it was solely based on, on, on God, not on Abraham. That's the oath God made. He could swear by no one greater than himself, so he walked through. Incidentally, that's called a theopony in this case, where an appearance of deity, yeah, where an appearance of deity, deity walks through. And understand an oath was seen as final in all disputes. It was the it was it was the law. It was it was it was final. Verse seventeen oh wait a minute. <clears throat> Verse seventeen. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purposes, he guaranteed it with an oath. And here we have a very strong theological statement when it says the unchangeable, the unchangeable character of his purposes. It's, it's talking about the immutability of God. It's one of his attributes. It, it's calling upon an attribute of God. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what this, that's what this text is basing this on. So it says, in, dish, in addition to his promise, to make it more convincing, to make the promise have more beef, if you will. That's probably a bad, given the slaughter that went on, but anyway, uh, I didn't mean to do that. But anyway, more uh, put more uh, oomph to it, shall we say. Uh, and the more convincingly is preceded by an epi, which means exceedingly abundant. Uh, Paul uses that term in the New Testament. That's the idea. He wanted it to be abundantly clear, is the idea here. The unchangeable character of his purposes. In other words, God purposed it, and so it's going to be done. That, that's, what this, that's what this is saying here. That's, that's the idea he wants us to understand, that God is immutable. He cannot and does not change. His purpose is guaranteed. He pledged it himself is the idea here. Uh, he pledged it himself. He, that's what the guaranteed with an oath. This is the, the same word that is used in uh, elsewhere in the New Testament uh, where it speaks of the Holy Spirit being our pledge of our salvation. It's that same idea. It's a word that's meant for an engagement. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's a very strong word. It's, it's a guarantee. It's, it, it, uh, and it's one that, uh, it's one that uh, you won't have to fight over. It's, it's, it's firm, a fixed. John 17, 17 says, Jesus says of the word of God, he says, Thy word is truth. That's that's it's it's settled. It's done. That's the idea here. And then he no, and then he notes here. He says, "And this promise was made to the heirs of promise." That's an interesting term, because it doesn't just mean Abraham. It doesn't just mean Isaac. It doesn't just mean Jacob. It doesn't just mean his twelve sons. It doesn't just mean the nation of Israel. It means all believers. That's what that term means. That's, that's the expression that, that he's making here. It applies to you and to me, all who have been called by God into his holy family. We are heirs of promise. Galatians. Chapter 3. Uh, verses 6 and 9. Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness... Uh, when then that it was, know then that it is those who, who uh, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. It includes you and me. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verses 4 and 5. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons, according to Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. In verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. This is what this text is saying. Uh, in here is the promise of salvation to all to to all whom God has elected. That's that's what he's that's what he's telling us. God purposed to save the believer in Jesus Christ. It's firm. It's unchangeable. It's invalidable. It can't be violated. It's set. It's guaranteed. That's what he's that's what he's wanting us to know as we come to this text. And then finally. We're going to have another theological thought here uh, as we move into verses 18 through 20. And he talks about the character of, of God. He says, so by two unchangeable things, once again, the immutability of God, they're unchangeable. So by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. Here we go. The faith has now become hope. To the, to the hope set before us, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now he says, he says, he says, by two unchangeable things, well, the two unchangeable things are the promise and the oath. That's what they are. The promise and the oath, those are the things that cannot be changed because God is immutable. They can't be changed. He says, because they're unchangeable things, and then he goes on and he says, here's another attribute of God. Uh, He cannot lie. He's impeccable. There is no sin in God. Lying is a sin. Uh, God cannot lie. He is, he's impeccable. That this is the character of God being expressed here. He's immutable. He cannot change. He's impeccable. He cannot lie. Those are, those are the truths that, that are being expressed in, in, the, in the guarantee of this, uh, of, this, uh, uh, of this text. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of a man that he should change his mind. Has he said he uh, has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it here? Here here is the whole point. There's the same two things. God doesn't change his mind and God doesn't lie. Whatever he says comes to pass. That's that's the bottom line here. He says it's impossible for God to lie. Uh, Second Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians uh, one. Well, I didn't mark it. Second Corinthians one, verse twenty to twenty-two. For all the promise promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is, and it is God who establishes us with you 
in Christ as as he has anointed us, appointed us, anointed us. In other words, what God says are yea and amen. That's, that's the point of that text. He says, we who have fled for refuge, believers who have come to Jesus for salvation. And he says that you might have strong encouragement. It's the same, literally, that we might keep having. It's, it's that kind of an idea. It's not that you have a momentary, you always have it. You, it's an assurance. This is, this is a, an assurance passage. That you, and then he goes on that you would hold fast that which is set before you, which he picks up again from verse 11 in chapter 6. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end. That's the idea here, to hold fast to the hope set before us. Hope refers to the one who gives the hope. The hope is in God. The hope isn't something you manufacture. It's not a, boy, I sure hope this happens. It's not a, a, a longing for. It's, it's an assurance idea because it's based in God. That's, that's the idea here. The hope is based in God. That's what, he's, that's what he's wanting us to see. That's what he's wanting us to understand. God provided the hope through his unchangeable word. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the, the concept that is being, being given here. And then in verse 19, he says, he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, the hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is an interesting passage. He says we have this as an anchor. What, what is an anchor? An anchor is something that holds a ship at sea. It's unseen, it falls down in the water, it locks into the bottom, and it holds a ship. And he's saying that's what, that's what we have. The promise and oath of God are an anchor for our soul. They hold us in place. Our hope is fixed because it's God who keeps it for us. And he says not only that, if that's not enough for you, the fact that God dropped an anchor to hold you there by his by his unchangeable word in which he cannot lie, that he made an oath to. If that's not enough for you, we have a second chain on that anchor. And that second chain is the fact that Jesus entered the place behind the curtain. Jesus went in and took the atonement Behind the curtain. That's the idea here. Uh, he, he, he's saying he entered into the inner place behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies. It's a ref- reference to Leviticus 6, 2, and 12 on the Day of Atonement when the high priest carried in the sacrificial offering. The difference was Jesus is a once and for all. In fact, Jesus rent the curtain. In fact, Jesus made it accessible for you and me. And that's what it's saying because it's going to go on. It's going to go on here. It's going to go on and say where Jesus has gone as a forerunner, which forerunner is an interesting word. It, it, it can mean the scout. In a military unit, they send out scouts to see what's ahead. Well, Jesus went ahead of us is the idea here. Uh, it, it can be used to speak of a pathfinder, someone who lays out the trail. And, and that's, what it's, that's the idea here. Jesus went before us into the Holy of Holies. 
And the implication is we follow him there. That's, that's the implication that is being made. And, and that's, what he, that's what he's saying here. So we have the, the anchor of our soul in the promises and oath of God, and we have a second chain on that anchor in the fact that Jesus made the atonement for us and opened the Holy of Holies, made accessibility to God the Father. That's, that's, what, uh, that's what the author is wanting us to see here as he, as he says this. <clears throat> he's, already, he's already explained some of this in chapter 4, verses 14, uh, 14 and, and 16. And he says, Jesus has gone before us as a forerunner. Note 9.12. In 9.12, he's going to say, He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is, the, this is what, what uh, the author is now wanting us to focus on. How secure is your salvation? Well, God made a promise with an oath and anchored you to it, and Jesus made the atonement and opened the Holy of Holies. That's how secure it is. In fact, it can't get any more secure. In fact, it's an eternal it's an eternal happening. And now he is going to move on from there, and he's going to introduce what the next chapter is going to go about explaining. And he says, Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our half, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's now going to point to the fact that the Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood, was a temporal priesthood. It was for the life of the man. It was an inherited priesthood. And it didn't, and the offering made by the high priest had to be made year after year after year. But Jesus is of a different order. He's not of the tribe of Levi. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's not, he's not part of the Aaron line. He's part of the Davidic line. And his priesthood is an eternal one that ended the sacrifice forever because he became the sacrifice. And therefore, and we will be looking at this a lot more, uh, he, he is a high priest from a higher order of high priests from the order of Melchizedek. Believers of that day were struggling with the persecution of their Jewish brethren who were trying to pull them back into Judaism, trying to pull them back into the ceremonies and the rituals of the law. And this text is basically saying to them, there is no point. It's done. Jesus fulfilled it. We have this from the promise and the oath of God, secured in the redemption that Jesus bought for us. That the Holy of Holies is now open. It's no longer veiled. We enter in with him, our forerunner, the one who's cut the path. There's no sense of going back. There's no sense of turning back. Stay on the path. For us, he's saying there's no other means by which a man can be saved but faith in Jesus Christ. And in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And he is now your high priest as well. 
Any comments or questions this morning? Yeah. Well, uh, this is neat because uh, Jesus making a way into the Holy of Holies once and for all, and Paul tells us that we can come boldly ourselves. Yep. We can go boldly right up to the throne of That's fantastic. Yeah. And we have the Holy Spirit every time we pray, taking our ineptitude prayers and making them right before him in the Holy of Holies. What was your question, Margaret? I just wanted to make sure on the, the week where um, in the NIV it says, we who have fled to take hold of the hope. And then here was it said, we have, have fled for refuge. It means the same thing. So is, is it, it's not a physical thing. It's that the spiritually... Well, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's it. It means we have fled from dead works. Okay. We have fled from ceremonialism. We've okay. fled from all of this other stuff to the truth. Okay. It, that's that's what's being expressed there. Okay. Well, let's pray because now we've gone over. Well, no, we haven't. We still have two minutes. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning as we look at this text. We thank you. We thank you that uh, we can come boldly before your throne. And uh, we do that this morning. We come boldly before you because, not because of any righteousness in us, but because righteousness has been imputed to us through your son, Jesus Christ, who is our forerunner, who opened the door to allow us to come to you. And we thank you, Father, that you receive us, you hear us, you answer us. And we just ask, Father, that uh, we would be, we would have souls that are anchored in the truth of your word and in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That we would rest there. That we would put all of our hope based upon your infallible, inerrant, true word. And we would give you the praise and the thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.